To be a Ruth. Oh, to be a friend to the bitter. To be a friend to the broken. To be a friend to the person who's going through bad times. And to do it not out of loyalty of friendships to a person, but out of, out of, a, out of a respect and a loyalty to God. At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. Let's take our Bibles tonight. We're in the book of Ruth. I just thought, you know, it'd be fun to just look at Ruth again, and not for any reason other than just, I like the book. And so we're here in Ruth tonight, and it is a uh, four-chapter book. It's not real long, but I, there's some just precious things here that i like us to consider in this book that I hope will just be an encouragement and uh, comfort and uh, blessing to us as we, as we take a look at the book. So we're in Ruth chapter 1, and uh, some things about this book as we come to it. You know, the book was uh, read in synagogues. It's, it's a part of the synagogue's uh, scrolls that they read on special festival occasions, five different occasions during the year where they will read uh, certain scrolls or certain passages. And the book of Ruth was the second festival uh, which aligned with the Feast of Pentecost. And May 31st, back a few weeks ago, was the Pentecost. Pentecost was the day that the Holy Spirit came um, there in Acts chapter 2, and the church began. And so the book of Ruth, believe it or not, has uh, some connection with the church because as Boaz married a, a Gentile wife and redeemed, uh, did the redemptive work there, the work of the kinsman redeemer by marrying Ruth, the, the Gentile, so Christ has, uh, is our re redeemer. And uh, through his marriage, we are, we become, we are the bride of Christ and, and are able to have part of the inheritance. And so there's some neat uh, comparisons there. And uh, we're going to look at tonight uh, with Ruth. Ruth is the main character. Uh, her name means friendship. And uh, so tonight we're going to look at her friendship and how she uh, showed that to Naomi in a time of trouble. But let me read it for you first, and then we'll, we'll work through it here. Um, we are in Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Benjamin, Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, and he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the woman of women of Moab, the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth, and they dwelled there about ten years. Malon and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the country, from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them. And they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? 
Are there yet more sons in my womb that may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters, go your way. For I'm too old to have a husband. And if I should say, I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight should, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from, stay from, for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clave to her mother, to her. And she said, Behold, thy sister has gone back unto her people and, and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. And thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And where thou diest, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. It came to pass when they were come to the Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call me ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it in our hearts tonight to encourage us and strengthen us. Lord, that we might be like this woman, Ruth, and that we might be able to be a help and a blessing to one another. So, Lord, I ask for your blessing as we preach, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth, she's a friend. I named my daughter Ruth for this, because of this book. I was so impressed with the book of Ruth, and it made such an impression on me. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm naming my firstborn Ruth, if it's a girl. <laughs> and uh, she was a girl, and uh, her name is Ruth. Her name means friendship. And, uh, you know, it's interesting about the book. Uh, there are different, different evaluations of the book. The practical side of the book is this. It's a, it teaches the providence of God in blessing his children, even when it comes to finding the right mate. I mean, you see the providence of God working in the book. Another thing in the Liberty Commentary it said this. There's a theological purpose. Uh, you have the, the work of the kinsman redeemer here. And a kinsman redeemer would step in and uh, he could redeem a widow that maybe lost her property or he could redeem a, an orphan and get his, the property back for an orphan or, or um, it could redeem a, a slave. Somebody had actually sold their property and sold themselves into, in, into slavery to pay their debts. And a kinsman redeemer be, would come in and he would buy back, he would pay the debts off and free the person so that they could have their property back. You see, in the land of Canaan, uh, the, the promised land, every family had their inheritance and it was passed down from generation to generation. So it was a serious thing. And, and, the, and the work of a kinsman redeemer was, was very important. And of course, you're going to see the work of Boaz as a kinsman redeemer. Several things had to be true about a kinsman redeemer. Number one, he had to be related to the person. And, of course, our Lord Jesus was, is related to us in the fact that he took on human flesh. Had to be free. 
And uh, he couldn't have debt. And, of course, our Savior, Jesus Christ, had no sin debt. Had to be able to pay the price of redemption was the third thing. And, uh, and uh, to be able to buy, to pay off the debt. And, of course, our Savior uh, redeemed us with his precious blood. And then he had to be not only able to pay, he had to be willing to pay the price. And I appreciate what our Savior said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. And he took up his cross and went and died for us. He was willing to pay the price. And then finally, he had to be prepared to marry the widow. And of course, the bride of Christ is the church, the Gentile bride and that becomes the bride of Christ. And so there's a theological purpose in the book. And then finally, there's a historical purpose of the book. It was to trace the ancestry of King David and so that you could see his lineage from the tribe of Judah. And what a wonderful book that we're going to look at tonight. So let's take a look at this, and let's look at the main character of the book, which is Ruth. And we're going to see that she is a friend. And the title of the message is A Friend in Trouble. And uh, to learn from Ruth, I think all the way through, we'll learn from Ruth, learn from Boaz, learn from Naomi, but to learn from Ruth how to be a friend in trouble. And we're going to see through three things. We're going to see her a friend in bad times. We're going to see her a friend in broken times. And then finally, we're going to see her as a friend in bitter times. And uh, just what a difference she will make in the life of Naomi and so let's take a look here. A Friend in Bad Times. It was a, there's a real contrast between this book and the one that, that follows it, or that comes before it, precedes it, and the book of Judges. Um, if you look in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, just there, right there, the book right before Ruth, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And if you've read the book of Judges or studied it, you know from chapter 17 on it just gets horrendously wicked. Idolatry, immorality, and perversion, to, to, uh, and just the, the outworkings of that, and what great harm and damage and destruction is brought by all of that. In the chapters preceding from chapter 1 to chapter 16, you find the apostasy of the people, how they, how they turn away from God. And so by the time we get with, done with the book of Judges, everybody doing what's right in their own eyes, it's just, we're just up to here with it. You, you just, we're just sick at at the sin of these people and the, and the destruction that they brought on themselves in that 400-year history of the book of Judges. And so it's very refreshing when you hit the book of Ruth and you see this wonderful story of redemption and love and Christ-like characteristics in this book. If you go with me in the book here, um, you'll, you'll see just some wonderful, if you will, a providential working of God. In Ruth chapter 4 and verse 22, just as we go to the very end, Obed beget Jesse and Jesse beget David, and you have this lineage of David. And, you know, it gives us a wonderful hope, if you will. After all of the sin of Judges, and then we see this, the way the book opens up, all of the horrible things that happened at the beginning of the book of Ruth, by the time we get to the end, we have David, who is mentioned here, who is, who's been given, King David has been given the promise that his seed will have an everlasting throne. And of course, that is Jesus Christ. And you see, in, in the midst of all of the darkness 
in this world, all of the calamities that happen to his people, that there is this wonderful hope that we have of Jesus Christ. I mean, you watch the news and you see all of the demonstrations and, and, and you, you read all of the, the, the wonderful news, right? Wrong. It just almost makes you sick to see it all the time. But, but through it all, there is a wonderful, bright, shining light, and that bright, shining light is Jesus Christ and His return. So you see the contrast here of the book of Ruth to the book of Judges. You see the consequences in the book. You know, as you start here in the passage of Scripture, Ruth chapter 1, you see this, this family that goes to Moab because of famine. And they actually leave the promised land to go to a foreign country under a foreign God. And you just think, wow, how could they do such a thing? But it was a desperate time. Back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, God had given them some promises. He, did, he does it later in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But in Leviticus chapter 26, God had promised these people if they, if they just would worship Him and obey him, they would be blessed above all the nations in the world. But if they turned their back on him, Leviticus 26, 14, and would not listen to him and would go off into idolatry, some of the worst things that could happen to any people would happen to the Jewish people. Years ago, I was in the jail and I was preaching in there and we were talking about this and there was, a, there was an old man there in the jail. It's kind of unusual to see old men in the jail, but there's an old man in the jail, and he was a Jew. And he was a bitter Jew. And he, and he asked me, just point blank in the preaching, he says, how could God do this to us? Wow. That's a hard question. But the answer is in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26. That if they serve God, there would be no greater blessing to any group of people. But if they turned their back and went and worshipped another god and broke the covenant that they made with him, there would be a lot of curses. And one of the curses would be Leviticus 26, 19. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. And your strength shall be spent in vain. And the land shall not yield her increase. Neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. And so it's not surprising when you read what you read in the first chapters of the book of Judges, you see, in those chapters, the people were beginning to turn away from God and worship other gods, and God was beginning to break them. He was bringing in, a, he was bringing in oppressors, and, and the book of Ruth probably happened around the time of the Moabite oppression with, with Eglon, you know, the big fat king that Ehud put to death with the, with the dagger. And, uh, but during that time, all of that oppression under the Moabites, and it, was, and it was here during these days that they had a famine because they had been worshiping other gods. Be sure your sin will find you out. You're, we reap what we sow, don't we? And we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. We sow to the Spirit, we'll reap life everlasting. And so you see the trouble that's coming. Ruth is going to be a friend in bad times. And the bad times came, maybe not personally because that Elimelech and Naomi were bad people. They were worshipers of God. But 
but because of the collective problem on Israel because of the apostatizing of the people. They, they were going through some rough times. By the way, we may go through some rough times too. We love the Lord, want to serve Him. But if you live in a country that becomes wicked and comes under the judgment of God, we may face some consequences. We, it may affect us. Hopefully we make right decisions when we, when we go through all of that. We trust God and we, we fear God. But there's a lot of contradictions here. You see the consequences to these people. You see the contradictions. Take a look in chapter 1. So they're in Bethlehem. They're from Bethlehem. And there's a famine. Bethlehem means house of bread. And there's a famine because of their sin. Elimelech. Elimelech's the head of this household. His name means my God is king. And they go to Moab and put themselves under a foreign king. Naomi means pleasant one. And yet at the end of this chapter, she's saying, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter. Malon means sick or weak. Chilion means pining and failing, almost the same kind of idea. And, and, and these people who should be blessed by God and be prospering by the Lord because they're God's people, I mean, it's, everything seems to be opposite and turned upside down. In the book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, you see the same kind of reversal, and yet it's talking about the church, and, and some believe it's talking about the church today, and it very may well be. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my, out of my mouth, the church of Laodicea. Because thou sayest, I'm rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They, they're they're self-deceived. They think they're doing great, but they're not doing great at all. In a sense, famine has struck. What they need to do is, verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. This is what's really valuable. Not all of the stuff of this world. This is more precious than gold, much fine gold. White raiment that thou mayest be that thou mayest be clothed. Oh, to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and and the righteousnesses of the saints, as it talks about later in the book of Revelation. In other words, to be a godly, holy people, Christ-like people. To buy white raiment, care less what this world values and what they consider important, and you know, to, to, but to be Christ-like. And then it goes on to say in the passage of Scripture that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. The shame, you know, people glory in their shame. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. To be able to see genuinely the truth and not be blinded by this world. So, yeah, there's a lot of contradictions there. And I think there's some contradictions for us, too. And then there's calamity. You look in verse 3. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. She's left with her two sons. The two sons die. And it's just death and destruction. And then verse 4. So there's these two wives, Orpah and Ruth. Orpah and Ruth. 
Orpah, you wouldn't want her name. Orpah. Uh, I've seen different places where it says rich hair, but really the, the meaning of the name means behind, the back of the neck. And I'll show you where this word is used or the, 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 the root form of this word is used in other passages of Scripture. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Exodus 32. Exodus 32.9. I think there's another name meaning here that needs to be brought out. Exodus 32, 9, you remember when the children of Israel made the golden calf, Moses is upon the mountain? And God tells Moses what's going on before Moses gets down off the mountain. Exodus 32, 9, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and, and behold, it is a Orpah people. <laughs> it's a stiff-necked people. Later on, in chapter 33, verse 3, it comes up again. He says, it's stiff-necked people. Verse 5, again, it's there in chapter 33, verse 5. You're a stiff-necked people. Chapter 34, verse 9, again, he's talking about these people. They're stiff-necked people. <laughs> so one of the daughters-in-law has a name meaning stiff-necked. Man, I don't know that that's a good name to have. You know, some people say, well, I'm stubborn and I'm proud of it, but I, I don't know. You know, you need to be stubborn about right things, but there are some things that just, it's not, it, no. You can give up some. You don't have to be stiff-necked. Well, Ruth's name means friendship. And so there are these two daughter-in-laws. And you get to the end of this first section where in verse 5 here, she's left of, be, be, bereft of her two sons and her husband. All she has left is Ruth and, and Miss Stiffneck. <laughs> oh, but she doesn't know what she has in Ruth. Well, maybe she does, but she's going to find out so much more about this woman. You know, Ruth is a friend to her in bad times. And you know, she, I don't even know that she knows it. And, and here's the thought, right? So we all go through difficult, troublous times. Right? We all go through calamities and, and difficulties. And, and, you know, if your life has always been good and you expect it to always be good, well, I guess this isn't for you. But, but if you've had troubled times or, you know, you've known people that have troubled times, wow, to have a friend with you, to go with you through that, so important. And sometimes you don't see who God is putting into your life. I mean, I, I, there's just been, I, I look at some of you and I just think, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you there too, Lord. And Lord, thank you for that one. And I, I, I thought about starting to name names, but I have to name just about the whole church. People that God sends in times of difficulty, times of challenge to just, you didn't even know that that's why God sent them, but they were there and they, they were a help to you. What a blessing. I, I told you about Jim Corkill. You know, he had his, and I've told my stories before and you, you know them all, but let me just, just humor me for just a second here, but we, we got on that vacation, our car broke down, it was all in a box, you know, the engine was in a box, and, and I had to give them money to get rid of my car, and I'm stuck in Alabama, and we go to church Wednesday night, and, and I look at the sign, we just found this little church in the phone book, didn't know anything, found this church, Baptist church, they had a service Wednesday night, so we go to church, and I drive up, and the sign says, you know, such and such Baptist church, Pastor Jim Corkill, and I thought, you know, Jim Corkill, we used to have a... Um, 
Grains of Truth or something like that on our radio station. And a good radio program. We actually went to Salt Lake once. When we were in Salt Lake, we, we actually had dinner with these folk and, and spent a little time with them. And they're just, they were sweet people. And then, for whatever reason, their radio program discontinued. And then I end up in Alabama with a broken down car. And I see Pastor Jim Corkill. And I thought, I wonder if that's the same guy. It was. And, and, and he, he wanted to help however he could. But you know, when you have a family breakdown and their car's in the junkyard and they have no transportation home, that's a little tough. That's kind of a tough one, right? Usually people don't have cars to give away. And, uh, but, but Jim went to the phone that night. He didn't even tell me. He went to the phone, that phone book that night and he called every car rental in Mobile, Alabama and he found us a car that we could rent. He says, there's only one car rental in this town that'll rent you a car home one way. And he says, that's Hertz rental car. And I said, well, thanks, Jim. But how much is that car, by the way? $500. Well, $500 back in those days is still a lot of money today, but it's a lot of money back in those days. And then, and then this church had heard somehow that we had broken down and taken an offering that very Wednesday night. And Brother Dennis called me. Somehow he found my, the motel we were in and called the phone number. And Brother Dennis was on the other line and said, Pastor, we heard you broke down. We took an offering tonight. We got $500. We think you ought to rent a car and come home. And that is exactly how it happened. And when we got to the car rental place, um, what Jim Corkill had looked up was the cheapest compact car you could have. Well, I was a family with four kids and in car seats and the whole works, and we just lost a minivan. We weren't going to fit in a compact car, but God was good to us there too because the lady at the, at the, at the rental Thing, end up giving us a caprice, a, 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 what is it, Brother Corky? No, no, no. What's your car? I can't think of it. A marquee. Thank you. <laughs> Corky always drives marquees. That's how I was going to ask you. So, so a marquee. And of course, you could put your whole family in a marquee and park the minivan in the trunk. I mean, it's that big. But I just think, you know, I just think, you know, God, I didn't even realize that Jim Corkill was in that town, but God sent him along to just be a help in the time of trouble. Look, be, have your eyes open. That's the point. Have your eyes open. You might be the one to be a help to somebody in trouble, and you not even know what they're going through. Here's a number two. Number two is a friend in broken times. So I want you to see Naomi's heart here. I want you to sense the loss that she senses here. And then we're going to look at the loyalty that comes later, but the loss first, her action, verses 6 and 7. You see a little glimmer of hope in verse 6. She arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return to the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. So there's this little bit of glimmer of hope. There's food in Israel. God has blessed the crops. They're going to have good harvest. Maybe we should go. And so she arose. It's the only hope she had. She heard in Moab, in her miserable condition in Moab, where her family's died, she's not doing well, she hears just a little glimmer of hope back with the people of God in Israel. You know, people, people go for every little bit of hope. Man, I meet with people, I talk with folk, and, and they come see me because, not to see me, they come because they're looking for, a, they see just a little bit of hope with God, and they think maybe God can help them, and He can. And so this is what Naomi's going on. She's going for help. She's going, this is the hope is in the Lord. And the hope is in the Lord. And she goes. To, and she's going to go to the place back there. I was in the book of 
in Psalms this morning. And in Psalm, I was just encouraged in Psalm 16. I know I shouldn't get off on rabbit trails, but it's in my notes, okay? Psalm 16, verse 1, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Man, Lord, will you take care of it? I'm trusting you. Oh, my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. You're my God. My goodness extendeth not to you. That the, little, the idea of that part of the verse means my, they, um, I have no good besides you. Lord, you're the only good that I have. I mean, if there's any good, it's going to have to come from you. For me, Lord, I need you. People aren't able to help me. My bank account can't help me. Lord, I need you. And then he goes on to say, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, Lord, I'm going to, I mean, it's you, it's your people. God, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to look towards. That's where my hope is. He goes on in the passage of Scripture. He says in verse 8, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. My heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall rest in hope. By the way, this is a, this is a messianic psalm. It's a prophecy about the resurrection and, and, the, and the, the hope that Christ had. Because it says in verse 10, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. These are the words of Christ. But they can also be our words too. That we won't be left in the pit. That, that God will get us out and, and that there will be hope. To put our hope in Him. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. It doesn't matter how dark it is. Keep your eyes on Him. Trust in Him. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Back to verse 1. So, she goes for the little bit of hope she has. She goes back to Israel. Her appeal when she gets there, she tell, or when she's going, she tells to her two daughters-in-law in verse 8. She says, go, return. Go back to your mother's house, each of you. You've been kind to me. You've been kind with your husbands and kind with me, but go. That's her appeal. Lord, grant you that you might find rest, each of you, in, your, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them and lifted up their voice. And, and they lifted up their voice and wept. As if to say, there's no hope hanging around me. You ladies need to just go back home where you can maybe back your own people and, and get some sort of help there. Isn't it, isn't it interesting how we do? We isolate ourselves in our mi misery. We're having troubles. We're having problems. And we just want to hole up and say, just leave me alone. They, that's what she's doing. Ruth, Orpah, go back. Don't hang with me. I'm trouble. Well, her acknowledgement in their trouble is this. Verse 13. She says, you know, if I had a husband today, are you going to wait for those sons? It's part of the Leverite where you marry, you know, if the one brother dies, you marry the other brother. Part of that custom that was part of the inheritance of the land of Israel. And these understood that. Naomi certainly understood it. She says, you're going to wait for that? That ain't going to work. And then she says in the middle of verse 13, For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And, I, and the word grief here is, I'm bitter. I'm bitter because God's hand is against me. You see her grief. You see her God and how she looks at him. God is against me. You ever felt like that? That God is just out against you? What a horrible position to be in. God's hand is against me. You know what? Job said the same thing. But God wasn't against him. 
was he? We know the end of the story on Job. David said the same thing, that God's hand was against him. It was because of his sin. In Psalm 32, verse 4, the people of wilderness, in, in the wilderness, the, the, the generation that died in the wilderness, the 40 years dying off, God, the Bible says God's hand was against them in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 15. So there, there's a time where God's sentence comes against people, but it's not always that. It could be a Job situation. It could be, it could be a David situation where he actually sinned and he sensed the guilt in, in God's hand against him. But she, here, whatever, her, whatever she's thinking, she does acknowledge that God's hand is against her. She needs a friend. And you sense the loyalty. You sense her loss. Now you sense the loyalty of Ruth. Verse 14. They lifted up their voice. They wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Goodbye, Orpah. She's headed home. Back to mama. Back to the Moabites. Back to her people. Back to her God. But what about Ruth? Ruth clayed to her. Ruth clung on to her. You know, Orpah's going to go back to her gods. You see that in verse 15. She goes back to her gods, to her people. She can leave Naomi because she's got her gods and her people. And there are people who walk away from the things of the Lord because they really, God wasn't their God and the people of God weren't their people. Like I just read recently, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. And they, and they left and they walked out. Orpah leaves. Bye, Orpah. Ruth can't. Something in Ruth will not let her go. She is devoted. She clings to Naomi. And listen to what she says, these wonderful words. She says, you go back, go, go follow, follow your sister-in-law. And Ruth says, entreat me not to leave thee. Don't ask me to go, Naomi. Mm -mm. Not going to do it. Um, I'm going to stay with you. We find out later it's because she, she trusts in the God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. I think it's chapter 2, verse 12. And, and she says, I'm not going to leave you. And don't cause me to return from following. That's my desert. And I'm, I'm going to go with you. Where you go, I'm going to go. Wow, that's a friend. And where you lodge, I will lodge. I'm going to, I'm going to hang around with you. I'm going to dwell with you. Here's a broken woman. She has nothing left to offer anybody. She's going back with what little bit of hope she has back to Israel. And now here's Ruth saying, I'm sticking with you. What a friend. Thy people shall be my people. That's big. To trade, to change people, her Moabite people now, going to a strange people, the people of Israel, she's going to make a change of her people. By the way, I appreciate people go to the foreign mission field. They, they make those people their people. One of our classmates in college, Dan Garlic, he was... Uh, he was a tall, skinny guy, and uh, he was, uh, I think, president of Mission Prayer Band, and so I knew him from that. And, and uh, he spent all of his life, he's my same age, he spent all of his life down in Mexico and South America working with Hispanic people. He made those people his people, and he just he went to be with the Lord here just, just in the last, last few months. 
Um, wow, make those people your people. And thy God, thy God, my God. Your God's going to be my God. Wow, what a friend. By the way, the, your God, my God, that common bond that we have in Christ, that's the glue right there. Your God, my God. We dwell together. That's what gives strength to friendships that goes beyond any, any friendship. In a marriage, man, I thank the Lord for my wife. Her God, my God. My God, her God. And, and there's a tremendous um, glue in all of that. And, and look at Naomi. He's, it goes on in verse 17, where you die, I'll die. And there I will be buried. I mean, commitment for life. And the Lord do so to me more and more also if I if aught but death part thee and me. And he says, God, get me if I, don't, if I don't have this kind of loyalty to you. And it's because she's going to serve the God of Israel. And Naomi served the God of Israel. And she wasn't going back to Moab. Any more than, than, than Rahab the harlot would go back to Jericho. Not going to do it with the people of God now. And Naomi sees this when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her. She left speaking unto it. You know, Naomi discerned it. She saw, I don't know if she, she, she really could appreciate all that she was going to have here, but it, it was going to be wonderful. This woman's loyalty to her. Here was a friend to a woman who was broken. And it was her loyalty that made the day and her love of the Lord that made the day. And the last thing I want you to see, and I'm done, is a friend in bitter times, verses 19 to 22. So they come to the city of Bethlehem, and it came to pass that they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, is this Naomi? The concern of the people, I mean, they're actually just, the city is stirred, the, the town is stirred, the murmuring, the noise. Did you hear? Naomi's come back, and there's a Moabite, her, her, her daughter-in-law's a Moabite. They've come back in. Naomi went out with her husband and her two sons. The two sons married with their two wives, and now four of that group are missing and only two return. You know, people care. Naomi's going to say, I'm a bitter woman. You know what? Maybe you say, I'm a bitter man. I'm a bitter woman. I'm a bitter young person. You know what? People care. People as church care. They're stirred. If that's the case with you, people care. And they care when you, when, you, when you fall. They care when you struggle. They care with, with, with the, 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 the things that you're facing that are, that are pulling you down. These people cared. The whole city was stirred. You see Naomi's confession here, verses 20. She says, is that Naomi? Which means pleasant one. <laughs> she says, don't call me pleasant one. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. The Lord's brought me home again empty. I wonder, I wonder when she left, you know, if she wasn't. I, I'm, you know, this is all surmi surmising here. But I wonder if she wasn't, you know, when she was getting ready to go, if she wasn't just kind of full of herself. Yeah, we've got a plan. You know, there's famine here, but we've heard there's some good stuff over in Moab, and she's talking to her neighbors and said, you know, you ought to come with us and go to Moab. 
Well, now it's 10 years later and she comes back and everybody can't believe what's happened to Naomi and the loss and the damage. Boy, she's humbled, but she's also bitter. She made some choices. You know, choices sometimes bring about bitterness. Esau made some choices in Hebrews chapter 12. He, he chose the, the worthless things, the profane things, and, and, and it caught up to him. He chose immorality, and he chose no reverence for God, and it, and it caught up to him. And then sometimes there's the chastening of God that steps in, and, and God takes away something, or God does something to, to, to chasten his children. And some, people don't, some people don't respond well to chastening, and they get bitter over it. Sometimes people fail the grace of God, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, and they, and they check God's grace, and they don't humble themselves. They're not prayerful by coming to the throne of grace. They don't come to the word of His grace. And, and they don't come to the Lord to get the grace that they need. I was, I was um, interacting with, Pastor, uh, with Brother uh, Bob Landis the other day, and, and, you know, we were traveling across the, the country to get home, and they were like four hours behind us as we were moving across the country. So we beat them home. Uh, we beat them here to Grand Junction. But I told them, I said, look, you know, you get your group here. He wanted to get his group cleaned up, and they need some showers. He says, you know, you can use the guest house. I'll give you the key to the guest house, and, and then you can use our house. I'll just give you the key, and you can come in anytime, day or night. And we're upstairs. You can just come in and take, use the showers and all of that. Well, he never, they, they never touched our house. They did it all right here. And, uh, and so I mentioned that to him the next, uh, you know, the day. I said, I said, you didn't use the house. And he says, he says, you won't be offended, will you? You know, the Bible says, great peace have all they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. That's preachers. We're ribbing each other, right? So I said, well, he's got a good point. And I'm not offended that he didn't use it. I know what he was doing. He was, you know, looking after us after our long trip and all of that. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, great peace have all they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. But sometimes people fail the grace of God, and they're not in the book, and they're not on their knees, and, and, they're, and they're full of pride, and they won't humble themselves before the Lord. Sometimes, you know, hus husbands, be not bitter against your wives, Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. You know, sometimes husbands get all proud, and they think, you know, I tell my wife what to do, and she doesn't do it, and then they get bitter. Just be humble. Trust God. Yeah, you have to lead the household. I understand that. But, but don't fail the grace of God. And the Almighty, she recognizes the providence of God against her. The Almighty's afflicted me, as it says in verse 21. But I want you to look at verse 22. Nothing special there. Just Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her. With her. Ruth was there with her. She's a bitter woman. Ruth's with her. And they returned out of the country of Moab, left a, left a not a good place. And they came to Bethlehem, and it was good. It's the beginning of barley harvest. I don't know if they planned that, but you know what? It was the right season for God to work, and Ruth, the friend, was with her. Oh, to be a friend to the bitter, to be a friend to the broken, to be a friend to the person who's going through bad times. To be a Ruth. And to do it not out of loyalty of friendships to a person, but out of, out of, a, out of a respect and a loyalty to God. To show the characteristics of Christ and be a help to a brother or sister. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would help us to 
be able to have the grace to do this, Lord, as you put us in situations and circumstances with people, we might be un unknowingly the friend. Or, Lord, we might come across somebody we uh, unknowingly, like Naomi with Ruth, probably didn't even realize that Ruth was going to be the answer to her problem. So, Lord, help us with this. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Pear Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10.13 tells us, For whosoever shall call, Upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead. Then you may, right now, pray, and according to Romans 10.13, call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, let us know. The number of the offices at Pear Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.